Welcome. Welcome to the October Citizens Climate Lobby call. My name is Mark Reynolds. I'm a member of the CCL board and I'll be hosting today's call. Uh, what's going to be happening is in just a minute, I'll be introducing our guests. Uh, then I want to talk about our December conference. And after the December conference, I want to talk about some of the things we're doing this month and then some of the things that have happened and are happening that are exciting in the field. If you are new, either listening live right now or listening to the recording, one of the things that I want you to know about the people that you'll be joining is they actually do something different than most people do. They practice democracy. You know, if you wanted to be better at tennis or the piano or ballet, you would practice. And so we actually work on being better, more effective citizens. And we regularly work on and meet with our Republican and Democratic members of the House and Senate. And we work on being better at it. Um, you know, most people don't engage with their elected officials because they, A, don't think they know how to do it, and B, they think special interest always gets their way. So we train people how to actually have those meetings, how to have them be productive, and special interest doesn't always get their way. In August, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, and big oil and big pharma did not get their way. We did get a fee on methane, and we will get a fee on CO2, and Medicare now can negotiate some drug prices. So I want you to know that you're going to be joining a group of people who are working every day at being better citizens, and we invite you to be part of that process. So our guests today are from the American Conservation Coalition. The American Conservation Coalition is a nonprofit dedicated to mobilizing young people around environmental action through common sense, market-based, and limited government ideals. Stephen is ACC's Vice President of Grassroots Strategy, and Quill is Vice President of Government Affairs. So let me welcome Stephen Perkins and Quill Robinson to our call today. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Good to be with you here today. Hi, everybody. Um, good morning or good afternoon, depending on, on where you are. Uh, as Mark mentioned, my name is Quill Robinson. I'm ACC's Vice President of Government Affairs. Uh, I know we've had a lot of, uh, we probably had some interaction before. Our two organizations, I think, share a mission of advancing uh, common sense, uh, environmental solutions, and really moving the ball forward on this issue of climate change that is so important to all of us. Uh, if you don't know us, if you're not familiar with ACC, we were founded back in 2017, um, really to address this issue of, uh, of giving young conservatives, young folks on the right of center, a voice on environmental issues, because we really saw a gap in American politics and an opportunity for young people um, on the right of center to step in uh, and create some conversations and create some positive pressure on Republicans to, to engage on climate change that hadn't really been filled before. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to, to Stephen to introduce himself and then talk a little bit about our grassroots work. And then we want to tell you uh, about an exciting new project that we're working on that we would love to, to collaborate with you all. Thanks, Quill. And hi, everybody. Uh, exciting to be here with uh, with CCL members this Saturday. Uh, my name is Stephen Perkins. I'm our Vice President of Grassroots Strategy. And what that means is that I'm in charge of making sure that our members and our branches across the country uh, have the support and resources they need uh, and have the leadership that they need uh, on, on the ground to, to do the actions that we want them to, but also to do the things that they want to do uh, to make their communities and our country uh, a cleaner, greener place. Um, and so our field operations really, as Quill said, we're about five years old now, our, our field operations really ramped up in the past year and a half. And so we've seen massive expansion and growth uh, across the country. Uh, we've got some primary states, but really the the, the lower 48 is, is where we are active in, in all of those. Um, we represent over 100 different, over 120 different communities uh, within those states. 
Um, and what we've been seeing on the ground is that there is such an excitement among young people to finally learn that the issue of climate change is becoming less partisan, uh, it's becoming less divisive, and that there are things that they can both do in their community to make a difference. It's not going to solve the entire issue, but they can uh, feel good about the work that they do and, and be engaged locally, but also that they can be part of a national movement and national sort of grass tops advocacy uh, to, to, to get some of the legislation that we also desperately need um, uh, to be successful. Um, and so, you know, going into, uh, as Quill mentioned, this, this project that we've been working on and that we will have going forward, the biggest thing that we hear from young people uh, in our audience is, you know, love the message, everything. We want things to be for. Uh, there, there are so many things to be against uh, in politics, especially in climate politics. Uh, we want things to be for. We, we, we want to be able to tell people we may not agree with this, but here is what we do agree with. Here are the principles and the values at which we're going to approach this issue. And that's actually really exciting for me as I've seen that on the field. It's, it's been a big relief because, uh, you know, with politics today, we often hear uh, the, the loudest voices or the negative ones, the, the, the contrarians. Uh, and so it's great to see that uh, that the majority, even if it's maybe a bit of a quieter majority, uh, is focused on results and is focused on uh, approaching this in a positive, um, in a positive from a positive perspective. So um, now I invite Quill to, to talk about kind of the political moment we're in and how that loops into our broader project that we've been working on. Thanks, Stephen. So I've spent the last three years, a little over three years in Washington, D.C., uh, representing ACC and our members uh, in front of Congress and with our, our partner organizations. And I got to tell you, a lot has changed in those last three years. Um, you know, when we we started coming to D.C., there were a handful of Republicans who had actually sit down with us to talk about climate change. Um, I'm sure all of you are very familiar with former Congressman Carlos Corbello. He was one of those very kind members who would take our meetings. Um, but I, I got to tell you, uh, several years ago, it was kind of lonely. But luckily, a lot has changed in the last several years. Um, the Conservative Climate Caucus, which I know many of you are familiar with, sprung out of a hike that our president, Benji, had uh, went on with Congressman John Curtis a couple of years ago. We helped get the caucus off the ground. We've also spent the last couple of years working very closely with House Republican leadership on developing their climate platform, which we've seen emerge as part of their commitment to America. And so I think we're entering a very unique moment right now um, with the potential of a Republican majority in the House of Representatives um, and after the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, I'm sure this is something that you guys have, have discussed on your calls before, but we spent a whole bunch of money, money uh, $369 billion on, on climate change, um, but it was done in a very partisan manner. Um, and the question is, what happens next? How do we make sure that this money gets, gets out there, that we are actually decarbonizing domestically and deploying these technologies worldwide? Uh, and then also, how can we make sure that going forward, uh, significant climate action, because we certainly have not uh, ticked the, bo the box on climate change yet, uh, how can we make sure that it happens in a more bipartisan fashion? And so we felt that uh, our organization, ACC, was particularly well positioned to do that. And just to give you, you know, sort of insight into our approach when it comes to what policies we do and we don't support, um, I, I know that CCL for a long time has been very focused on advancing uh, carbon pricing. And that's a very, very important focus of your organization. Our strategy as, as ACC has always been to figure out where the opportunity lies and where Republicans can lead. 
And I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, those, those approaches are very complementary. And so we may not always be focusing on the exactly the same policies. I think our respective organizations can work together very well. With that, um, we've been working uh, diligently on this new project for uh, over six months now uh, that we hope is going to uh, answer an essential question that we've been hearing for a long time. Uh, and Stephen hinted at it. Okay, so you guys uh, don't support the Green New Deal. What do you support? And I'm sure uh, many of you have gotten that question before. The reality is that for many Americans, the Green New Deal is their essential reference point when it comes to when it comes to climate change. Uh, and they may not be familiar with carbon pricing. They may not be familiar with something like carbon capture or natural climate solutions, but they want to understand what your approach is in relationship to the Green New Deal, which is something that they may they likely feel passionate about one way or another. And so for our audience, um, that is uh, for our audience and hopefully a broader audience as well. We hope to answer the question with our new project, which is called uh, the Climate Commitment. And I'd like to share it with you now. So this is a great picture of some of our awesome activists out in out in Montana. Um, so again, the essential purpose of this project is to answer that question and create an entry point for people who don't necessarily identify with their perception of what the Green New Deal is. For those of us who believed in a market-based approach, who um, might think that uh, innovation and companies play an important role, who don't necessarily want to rad radically transform the state of the country, um, but do want to advance um, decarbonization domestically and abroad, while also protecting our economy and keeping the strength of, of, of America. And so that's, that's what we hope to do here is um, provide that framework and a brand that is going to be attractive for the, the millions of Americans who, who share those values of um, protecting the economy and also uh, protecting the environment as well. So it starts out with uh, a statement of, of values here, that climate change is um, a real and growing threat. Two-thirds of Americans, some of you may have seen this Pew poll before, believe that we're not doing enough. Uh, and that we need a common sense approach that balances economic prosperity and, and environmental protection. And so the climate commitment is that new approach. Um, and this is something, you know, that we, we did some polling on um, earlier in the year, which you can find on our website, acc.eco. Uh, but these are the sort of, this is sort of the statement of purpose, what you need to know that we feel is will unite all of the people um, who ultimately will support the climate commitment, that it is real, it is serious, that we must act now. There's no single solution, importantly, but a multitude of solutions. Um, and then most importantly, that we are hopeful. And that's something that has always distinguished our organization compared to many of the other youth organizations out there who tend to advance a bit of a doom and gloom message on this issue of climate change. Uh, some of you may have seen some of these numbers before, uh, but to kind of contextualize the climate commitment and why we feel like it's important, um, uh, seventy percent of Americans believe that climate change is is happening and that it will harm future generations. Um, uh, and when it comes to Republicans, which is really our core audience, but it's not limited to that, but many of the folks that we work with as ACC are Republicans. Uh, less than forty percent of young people say that Republicans do care about climate change, whereas seventy three percent say that they should care. And that's something that we always bring to. Uh, to the offices when we're doing meetings is saying, look, young Americans, particularly young conservatives, want to see you as a Republican member of Congress lead on this issue of climate change. Uh, on, on top of that, you have uh, three quarters of Americans who are saying they're unhappy with the direction that the country is headed. Um, and of course, there are a whole bunch of factors that play into that. But I think climate change is, is, is one of them. They feel 
uh, like no one has really come forward with an approach that can balance that those concerns about the economy and the state of the environment. Uh, and then finally, this is something that we always really emphasize as an organization is let's figure out where the common ground is on climate change among policy. And what we've found, uh, this is from Pew poll a couple of years ago, 90% support planting trees um, and 80% support uh, prioritizing clean energy. Those are the really the sweet spots where we should be focusing our attention and where Americans, whether they're the red team or the blue team, can come together around climate solutions. And so the answer to this context that I've just laid out is the climate commitment. Uh, and what is the climate commitment? It's six big ideas to tackle climate change. Um, and so rather than having a, a laundry list of super prescriptive bills or particular policies, we center this approach around six big ideas. And those ideas are innovate, unlock, streamline, conserve, compete, and protect. Now, underneath each one of these, and you'll see on our, our website, theclimatecommitment.com, excuse me, you can see a bit more information about why each one of these big ideas is so important to tackle climate change, and then some of the policy pathways that fall underneath this that will provide sort of the, the guidance for legislation going forward. So our hope with this project, and you'll get a better sense for this once you look at um, the website, is that this framework is something that will attract people who are looking for, for something new when it comes to this issue of climate change, and then provide them hope and ideas about how we can work on this issue of climate change. And we are going to, moving forward, focus on different, big, different ones of the big ideas as the, they become um, relevant and important, and we see a leg legislative opportunity going forward. So just to give you an example of that, obviously, streamline permitting reform polls underneath that is going to be a big focus of ACC's going forward, because after the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, as we all know, uh, it's great to spend money on climate action, but it doesn't mean a whole lot unless you can actually build these projects. So that's the overview of the climate commitment. I wish I had lots more time to share um, more about it with you guys, but I hope that gives you a taste uh, and has gotten you interest in the, interested in this new project and would love, would love to share more uh, uh, about ACC and the climate commitment uh, if you all are, uh, are interested in hearing more and connecting with uh, our network as well. So I will stop there and I would love, we would love to answer any questions that you all have. Great, fantastic. Uh, we love hearing, I mean, we, part of our core training that volunteers get when they start an organization is, is that we identify as ourselves as being an organization that's for things rather than against things. Yeah. And I think that forces people to do the hard thinking because anybody can say what they're against, who they don't like, what they don't want. Anybody can do that. It's sloppy, it's lazy. But what are you for? What are you in favor of? It's the harder question to answer. And then I think it gets better uh, solutions out of people. Also in 2011, we first came across a paper from a gentleman named Rob Willers who wrote a paper called Apocalypse Soon, Dire Messages are Counterproductive on Global Warming. And what his study actually showed is, is giving people the gloom and doom actually doesn't even help. Uh, and there's been a lot of social science that has backed that up since then. What his particular study did is, is that he, he did a study where people would uh, give people the dome and gloom scenario and then interview the people who they were talking to. And they'd say, oh, I'm not so sure that person knows what they're talking to. I think the people who say the planet goes through natural cycles no more. But the same person could give them the doom and gloom as soon as they end, offered a solution in the discussion. That same person would say, dang, I finally met somebody who understands this. You know, so <laughs> a lot of the social science backs up what you're saying also. Flannery, what are you seeing so far as the, as the questions that are coming in? 
All right, so we have several questions um, asking about the, the policies that you support. Where do they put us in terms of greenhouse gas emissions cuts? Um, particularly a few people have mentioned the 2050 um, timeline that the IPCC says, you know, we need to be um, uh, net zero by 2050 or carbon neutrality by 2050. Um, so can you speak a little bit about the, the policies you support and where they put us in terms of emissions cuts? Yeah, absolutely. And so our um, our North Star as an organization is net zero, global net zero by 2050. And that's a big emphasis of ours, right? Because the U.S. represents 11% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And it may feel good to do rapid decarbonization in the U.S., but ultimately for climate mitigation, it only matters if it's global. So to put some, you know, put some numbers to this, when it comes to the conserve pillar, natural climate solutions, and that's something that we very vocally advocated for. Uh, the National Academy of Science says that um, natural climate solutions can contribute up to 30 um, or a little bit over 30% of our global emissions reductions, necessary global emissions reductions by 2030, if we were to really maximize that pathway. Um, you know, another another thing that I'll, I'll mention, a number that I just saw recently from Princeton is that um, if we do not accelerate the rate of transmission build, build out here in the United States, we're going to miss 80% of the emissions reductions, potential emissions reductions of the of the IRA by 2030. And so that's why we're so focused on permitting reform right now. And so this is something that I, you know, I'd have, I'm happy to talk with any of you guys more about afterwards. But on the Republican side of things, we're a little bit um, hesitant about targets. And I think we're uh, a lot more focused on what are the opportunities that are actually going to accelerate um, the deployment of clean energy globally. So um, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of other numbers I could throw out there, but we really do think that um, we want to identify the things that are the really the lowest lowest hanging fruit, and we'll get the most bang for our buck in terms of decarbonization. All right. So we have another question um, asking, "What is your sense of what's needed for Republicans in Congress to support legislation that matches the scale of the climate challenge?" Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. Now, um, I know all of you work with with Congressman John Curtis a whole lot, and there's not a better um, a better person to talk to um, and someone who understands better how Republicans are thinking about this issue. Uh, he will say, "Don't play the gotcha game about believing in climate change. Focus on common ground solutions." And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, when it comes to solutions uh, matching the size of the problem, I would say, "Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good." It's better to make some progress rather than um, better to make some progress as opposed to wait for that silver bullet solution. That's something that has defined my career in, in the climate space. And it's something that I think is um, really, really important to keep in mind um, as we think about the marginal benefits of uh, making reductions uh, in, in, in carbon emissions. And so uh, I would much rather get um, a Republican on a nuclear bill rather than completely focus on one, getting them on one single policy that is going to decarbonize the, the entire economy. All right. So it wouldn't be a, a CCL call if we didn't bring it back around to carbon pricing at some point. <laughs> so we have this, uh, this question has 12 upvotes. Um, uh, the question is, does carbon fee and dividend legislation meet your criteria of a common sense approach? Uh, so just in general, thoughts on, uh, thoughts on that, um, that policy approach. Sure. Well, we have we have members who are very supportive of a carbon price, and we have other members who are very much against carbon price. And thank goodness we have organizations like CCL 
who they can go to and work with if they are very supportive of a carbon price. And they're, you know, YCCD is another one that, you know, we love to work with and they have a great outlet in. Now, again, our focus is, you know, been focused on what, what the opportunity is ahead. And for us as an organization, we, we don't see uh, carbon fee and dividend as the best opportunity working with our Republican allies, mobilizing our grassroots activists to actually move the ball forward on climate. That's something that we will support organizations like yours, yours doing and, and really, you know, appreciate all the hard work that you all do. Um, but if you want to help us with getting natural climate solutions bills or permitting reform bills or nuclear bills across the finish line, we welcome you. And so I think there's a, there has to be a bit of a divide and conquer approach. Um, and I'm glad that there's so much diversity in this, in this pragmatic climate solutions movement. Yeah. Flannery, let me jump in with one and then I'll turn it back to you for a second. Sure. So, you know, one of the things that we've been saying over the course of the summer and fall is we'd be, we were going to be adding pricing, I mean, uh, priorities in addition to carbon pricing and natural solutions is one of them first focusing on trees. So I think that that is an area where we're going to be able to work together a lot on. Uh, and I think that it's also should be one of the easiest ways to get bipartisan legislation passed. Um, but I also want to ask you about a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Um, we know that Biden could do that by himself, but our own preference is, is, is that we could do it legislatively. Because again, I think you should be able to get plenty of support from both sides of the aisle because it really speaks to American competitiveness. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm hearing in your messaging that we should focus on with our conservative outreach also. But what are your views on that? And do you think that there's a good chance to do that with Republican sponsors uh, next year? Sure. Well, the the underlying point behind a, a border carbon adjustment is that in many regards, we make things cleaner here, right? A whole bunch of different types of widgets are produced much in a much cleaner, more environmentally friendly way here in the United States, as opposed to places like China, China right? And so uh, that's a point of agreement that we should be able to leverage that in some way. Now, there's several different tools that you could use, right? Like you could use a border carbon adjustment um, coupled with the carbon tax. You could use a border carbon adjustment coupled with some sort of like peg to like the regulatory burden that currently exists in the United States. And then there's also the idea of a climate club as well. Um, and so we are very interested in this because I think this is generally this concept generally because it's one of the most powerful tools that we have to drive global decarbonization. Um, but we are not all in on the idea that it's going to be a bipartisan, um, an area of bipartisan legislation yet. But it's something that we're certainly closely watching. Uh, I, I think that on the Republican side of things, there's some hesitation right now just you know, given that um, uh, given that we are in a bit of an uncertain economic moment right now, and there's some hesitation about imposing additional barriers to to trade on anything anything that would hamper like the economy right now. So that's that's my read on it right now. But we're certainly watching it very closely. Great, thank you for that, Flannery. What else you got? Um, we do have a couple questions actually about permitting reform. So um, one just says, what are the prospects for legislation on permitting reform that both Democrats and Republicans could support? Sure. Uh, when it comes to, obviously, we we all know, you know, the Mansion deal as, as part of the CR fell through um, in the last couple of weeks, which was very unfortunate. I think that was more of a, a matter of a failure in process as opposed to complete um, a lack of a potential coalition when it comes to the concept itself. Now, fossil fuels obviously continue to be a sticking point, um, but from what I've heard talking to both Republican and Democratic offices when it comes to transmission, when it comes to clean energy, there's great, a great deal of, agree of agreement there. Um, 
I'm a little bit skeptical that this that we're going to get permitting reform this Congress. And there may actually be some benefits to having it be House Republican-led next Congress. Um, we'll see about that. Um, but I, I think that probably one of the most important, important things that can happen right now is for progressives to speak up and recognize how important it is to get the government out of the way of building the clean energy projects that we need. That's, part, that's the most important thing that can happen right now. Conservatives are already sold on getting the government out of the way. Progressives need to stand up and say, climate change is urgent. We need to build these projects. All right. And now uh, in the last few minutes here, I'll just ask some, uh, some logistical, tactical questions. Um, one question is from Julia wondering, do you have a climate commitment pledge that we could get candidates to sign? Stephen, I'll turn that over to you. Yeah, so we definitely have, uh, if you go to the Climate Commitment website, which I think the link was shared, uh, individuals and candidates can both sign on to that pledge. Um, would love for candidates to be vocal about their support for the commitment, uh, but also you as individuals can sign on to that too. And that also uh, gets you to receiving uh, occasional updates about the project, especially when there are uh, uh, advocacy opportunities. Perfect. Okay. Uh, and it looks like Kaylee just shared that link again uh, in the chat for anybody who needs it. Um, and then we have another question um, where somebody's just saying they would love to connect with ACC folks in their state. Um, how can they do that? You guys have guidance on that? Yeah, the best way to do that, if you go to our website, acc.eco, there's a few different ways. The first is if you go uh, to our, our, our Become a Member Start a Branch page, you can see our local leadership in those individual communities but also our staff page, you can connect with our regional and state directors. You can also email me, I'll drop my email in the chat, happy to uh, uh, happy to, to connect you with anybody in your local area, that actually may be the easiest, but um, we've got local branch leaders all over the place and every branch is different. Every branch is a different, uh, a different focus, a different mix of events and programming that they do, uh, but happy to get you connected uh, to those people. Well, Stephen, how do you guys do outreach and who, what, what, what are the places that you're going to get to the people that you think you should get to? Sure. So it's a mix between target communities that we've identified as being important for our, uh, our advocacy uh, targets, but also just important states where there's some good climate action to be done and also organic interest. Uh, a lot of our branches, especially in the early days, were just groups that heard about us and wanted to start a branch in their community. And so in terms of our outreach, our regional and state directors uh, span, you know, most of the country, as I mentioned, the lower 48 is where we're most active. Uh, and we go out from college campuses to uh, events and, and other programs in the community. We work with uh, probably over 100 different partner organizations across the country. Um, so our outreach, we really believe that if we're going to build this movement, we have to be on the ground. We have to be uh, as embedded in these communities as we can be. Um, you know, our field team and our grassroots outreach, outreach team is growing. Um, but as we grow, we're, we're really just pavement pounders and, uh, and, and connecting with people as, as much as we can. Yep, yep. A lot of us have done a lot of tabling, a lot of presentations, a lot of talks. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I think, Quill, it was probably two or three years ago, the first time you and Benji and I were on a call together. It's so great to finally get you guys uh, here. Um, glad that our membership could hear about this. Uh, you're certainly welcome to stay on for the next 10 minutes if you want, but we also know that it's a uh, Saturday and uh, there's a lot of other things you could be doing, but uh, thank you so much. Really nice job, guys.
Thank, thank you, Mark. And I want to just give a shout out and commend everybody on this call. You know, CCL has been such such an instrumental force in pushing common sense climate solutions forward. And we, you know, we consider you all kindred spirits and, and would really love to work together however we can. So thank you all for having us on. Great. Great to have you. Thanks a lot. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, December conference for just a minute. Uh, the, our fall conference this year is in December. It might be the most important conference we've done. And I want you to write down a couple of dates. One is this Monday, October 10th, we'll be doing the initial training for that, the legislative training. There'll be one at 1 p.m. East Coast time and one at 8 o'clock East Coast time. And then the 17th, the uh, conference actually opens up for registration. Here's why I think this, this particular conference is really important. We have been working on and identified and clearly are an organization that goes for bipartisan legislation. But the reconciliation process is inherently partisan. So we've been working really, really hard on making sure that that got done. You know, we exist to create the political will for a livable world. We've always believed the fastest path there was with a carbon price. That wasn't going to be there in the reconciliation process. But there were big gains to be made, and we needed to be stay true to our commitment to a livable world. So that could be a little bit, you know, disconcerting for some people to see that we'd always been working so bipartisan, and then secondly, uh, we'd been working in this inherently partisan process. But the gains were so important, and Quill is right. We've got to get the permanent reform for all those projects to get built out. He's he's, uh, I believe, 100% correct on that. The other thing is we have been talking about for quite some time adding a couple of additional priorities, but we said we would add a lot of clarification once the election's done because we've been so focused on turning out the vote. So what will happen is coming out of the December conference, you're going to understand crystal clear what our additional priorities are, how we're working on them, and our pathway forward. So I think just think this is a really important moment, and I hope all of you can make it uh, so that we're all kind of pivoting at the same moment after the election. Okay, so what are we doing this month? Um, first, give candidates and voters a push for as election day gets near. So we've been doing that all summer and into the fall and let's keep doing that. Let's push all the way up until the election day. The second action is just to register and get prepared for the uh, December conference. The conference itself doesn't open up until October 17th. So you might wanna put a note in your calendar to uh, register on that date. Uh, the social media bonus action is to post your Earth Day election edition event photos and videos. <clears throat> Chapter development bonus action. I think this one's really important. We're recommending that you figure out how to do a social event. You know, we have spent so many years getting together and our personal connections are so important. So if you can find a way safely to just get together, for me, uh, being in DC in June and seeing people that I hadn't seen for three years, uh, it didn't matter what any of the talks were, they were all great. It was just being able to see people and we hope that you're doing that also. <clears throat> and then the communication exercise is to practice sharing about someone impacted by climate change. We know that those personal stories um, actually matter. Okay, so a few other interesting things that happened since last month's call. I know it's not something that we actually worked on, but the Kigali Amendment was ratified and that's a big deal. Um, so that's a, that's a big deal for the climate. And again, it wasn't something we worked on, but it is another case where we can pour in at effective bipartisan action. Um, <clears throat> last year, we published 828 op-eds. Now that just was off the charts because the most we'd ever done was like in the 600. So I thought that was a one-time event and you know, holy cow, how did we do it? But we're at 677 this year. So if we get 150 more published between now and the end of the year, which is a very realistic goal, we'll break that, that record. So 
uh, keep pushing on that and, uh, and just really remarkable uh, uh, work. There are at least 61 uh, Earth Day events happening. So congratulations to everybody who's um, been working on that. Uh, and for those of them that have already happened or uh, are going to be happening. So I mentioned on previous calls that there's a couple of ways that our international effort works. One is we have 135 chapters around the world. This June, 80 people from 80 countries participate in our worldwide month of action. So we have that aspect of the work, which is, you know, uh, about empowering people in their country to take action on climate change. But the other part is, is we've been working hard on the UN process itself to make it more transparent, to make it more inclusive, to make it not so much of a just an old good old boys club. And so one of the things we learned is, is that there are a lot of countries that cannot field a delegation to go to those climate talks. And we think those are better meetings if people field their own delegation rather than just hiring someone to go represent them. So Joseph Robertson, along with the Fletcher School of Management, which is the oldest graduate school for trained diplomats in the US, uh, in partnership with them, has created a training program. And now we've got, this Thursday, we've got 247 people registered to actually get trained to represent their country uh, from all over the world. So there's diplomats, there's experts, there's observers, there's people who are gonna be negotiating. And so uh, that training starts this Thursday and will, will happen between now and the COP meetings that happen in Cairo in November. So Joe's the, the lead person on this, but some of the other people who are presenting is Rachel Kite. Rachel Kite was the, um, well, she is the Dean of the Fletcher School of, of Management. She was the World Bank Vice President. Uh, Vera Songjay, former Executive Secretary of the UN Economic Commission for Africa. Carlos Alvarado, the former President of Costa Rica. Marcelo Mania, former environmental minister for Chile, Kim Silly Sims Gallagher, who worked in the Obama administration, working the deal between China and the US and clean energy. And sorry for the pronunciation, Kwamril Chowdhury, who was a long time lead negotiator for least developed countries at the COP process. So we're excited about that. We're excited about the turnout and that um, this is another way that we can be of service to the climate movement by creating a training program where other people are actually can be trained to represent themselves. The hope for this program is that we're actually able to raise a lot of money for it and not only um, train people to go, but actually help them fi go financially because some countries simply cannot afford to send a delegation to the COP meetings. Okay, one other thing I wanna mention is we're starting to do outreach events again. And uh, Bill Barron, our regional coordinator from the Mountain West, just finished the Utah Energy Future Tour. That happened from September 6th till the 17th. It was a 750 mile, 11 day, 12 stop event on a bicycle. <laughs> so during that time, Bill had 12 public events, two, two Rotary Club meetings, one meeting with an editorial, the editor of a paper, four county commissioners, one mayor, I asked Bill about planning the tour ahead of time. And he said, one of the things you have to do to be effective at these tours is you have to have a high tolerance for no. So for all of you who've, who've done these kind of tours and you had so many people who didn't ask you to come, but actually said, no, thank you for continuing to stick yourself out there even in the face of people uh, saying no. Okay, we'll wrap up today's call back in Utah also. So in addition to the outreach tour, um, Utah hosted a candidate forum. 
And uh, we'll complete today's call by just sharing with you a quick one minute clip of the Republicans and Democrats and hosted by a CCL moderator uh, who were, were at that candidate forum. Kaylee? This election season, climate change is a top issue in Utah. CCLers in Utah hosted a bipartisan climate change debate featuring Republican and Democratic candidates for two congressional seats. CCL volunteer and Park City, Utah high school student Montana Burak moderated the debate. As a climate conscious citizen and voter, it's encouraging to see politicians on all sides of the political spectrum talking about climate change solutions. All candidates agreed that climate change is impacting Utah. We're all trying to get to the same end goal and I, I, I just really appreciate everybody who's on a path. They offered their ideas for solutions to Utah's biggest climate issues, air quality, water quality, and the low water levels in the Great Salt Lake. We need to embrace ways to, to make sure that key baseload power becomes cleaner and cleaner. We, we have technologies such as geothermal and nuclear that are, we'll be seeing advance in the next few years that will get us there. My goals, uh, quite simply, are to get every single Republican comfortable talking about climate. Keep in mind that it's so often the most poor people that are most affected by these climate change problems. The candidates didn't agree on everything, but it was a good conversation and the foundation for a strong democracy. We're uh, not as divided as we are portrayed. Is climate change a top issue in your upcoming elections? There's still time. Learn more and get involved at cclusa.org slash vote-2022. Great. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next month. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.